Hello, and welcome to Bubby Brister's Brunch Buddies, your go-to show for football history, analysis, and general sports information on the Cowboys, Washington football team, and even the Mariners on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Harry Gollum, here with Andrew Pearson. Hello. And today, Andrew and I are going to be covering the matchup between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. We'll also be talking about a surprising evolution for a former NFL player, a former franchise QB's tell-all book that matters specifically because of the organization he played for, an NFL player who, can't, who just can't let go, and the evolving playoff picture in the NFC. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's dive right into that matchup. So, Andrew, historically, who would you say is the better franchise, Niners, Seahawks? Oh, Niners, without a doubt. So what would you imagine the all-time series record to be around? Well, I mean, considering that it's the NFC West, I, I'm i pretty sure it's been oddly close, especially considering that the Seahawks weren't in the same division as the Niners yeah. until, what, late 80s, 90s? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you're saying narrowly favoring the 49ers? Yeah. You're wrong. 29-17 Seahawks. The Seahawks don't just have the lead. They're blowing the Niners out. Really? Even during the 80s, where they met sparsely, the Seahawks held their own against the Montana Young Niners. Just a bizarre... The, the Seahawks play the Niners really well. Anyway, they've only met... There have been no ties, and they've only met once in the playoffs. And let's not let's not jump around here. I think the, we should really talk about that playoff game. Because that playoff game was in 2013. Yeah, this the was NFC the NFC Championship. Yeah, this was the infamous one that sent the Seahawks to the Super Bowl, right? And honestly, this is one of my favorite games to talk about because compared to a lot of other games on this show, I'm kind of working from sources. You know, I'm kind of trying to figure out what's going on sort of retroactively. But I was there for this game. I was actually at a, uh, I don't believe it was my friend. I think it was a work friend of my parents' house for their viewing party for the game, you know. And I mean, that was just such a great game. It actually lived up to the hype. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. This was the infamous one that uh, Richard Sherman backtalked to Michael Crabtree after the game, right? Well, yeah. So let's talk about exactly how it started, right? So the, it's a defensive struggle, right? These are probably the two best defensive teams in football that year, right? You got, uh, I can remember Navarro, oh, Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman anchoring an, a genuinely elite Niners defense. They're the reigning NFC champs, mind you. And the Seahawks have, of course, the Legion of Boom and Bobby Wagner. Now, was this so, when Alden Smith was in the league and it was a, he was catching fire that year? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was Kyle Williams who I think was really the anchor of that D-line for the Niners. But I, I'm pretty sure he was there too, Alden Smith was. Um, but early on, the Niners got a quick field goal from Phil Dawson. There's a name, by the way, Phil Dawson. But that's all the scoring for the entire first quarter. Come the second quarter, things get a little bit more interesting. The Niners manage another touchdown drive early in the second quarter to go up 10-0. And then Steven Hauschka manages to split the uprights midway through the second quarter. However, heading into halftime, we're looking at a 10-3 game, San Francisco's advantage. Then five minutes in to the third quarter, Marshawn Lynch does what Marshawn Lynch does in playoff games and breaks off a massive run, this time 40 yards into the end zone to tie the game. Which, which Marshawn Lynch is a bruising power runner, but he has two genuinely iconic runs in the playoffs that I can think of right off the top of my head, the Beast Quick and this run in playoff games. And they're long runs, you know? Yeah, I mean, people underrate Marshawn's long speed because they always think of him as that bruising power back. The only reason he didn't break off, break off an, you know, more 
long runs is because of his more power-centric nature, he's finding contact that's slowing him down more often. Mm, that's mm. That, that's usually what his play style was. But when he could break that big run, man, oh, he was he was running like a deer all the way down the sideline. He was he was amazing. Yeah. So now, in fairness to San Francisco, they respond pretty quickly. Within about three three and a half minutes, Colin Kaepernick hits Anquan Bolden. By the way, there's another name. Uh, I think he actually just got into the Hall of Fame, didn't he? Anquan Bolden was one of the most underrated receivers of the two oh, thousands. Yeah. Man, played on mm-hmm. tons of good and terrible Arizona Cardinals teams, and then his back five years or so, he just bounced around the league for whoever wanted him. And he was and always, he was still good. He was always an excellent possession receiver, big body, didn't always break the big the big runs, uh, didn't always get the big catches but was always there, Mr. Consistent, just excellent player. He was actually a huge part of Joe Flacco's incredible playoff run in 2012 with the Ravens, and then he immediately jumps over to the Niners the next offseason, in large part because the Niners were impressed by his performances in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. So that signing pays off here, and the Seahawks are only able to muster a field goal in the late third quarter. So they're down 17-13, to 13, right? Mm-hmm. Then... Early in the fourth quarter, Seattle finally Seattle's passing game finally breaks through as Russell Wilson throws the ball 35 yards downfield to hit Jermaine Curse, who's another name actually uh, that Seahawks fans probably remember quite well. But who he went to the Jets, didn't he? Uh, Jermaine Curse, yeah, he went to the Jets and then just kind of flamed out there because it's the Jets. Everyone flames out on the Jets. Um, yeah, but Jermaine Curse was a solid receiver for a long time with Seattle. Yeah. So now the Seahawks are sort of clinging to a late lead. They even managed to extend it very late in the game, as in eleven uh, about 11 minutes in. Stephen Hauschka hits a 47-yarder, right? This is back when Stephen Hauschka was good. Speaking of which, have the Seahawks had a consistent kicker since Hauschka? Well, if memory serves me right, they brought in Blair Walsh, after yep, they let he after, didn't work. after they let Hauschka go and he proceeded right. to miss four field goals against the Washington uh, football team. God bless. Which was a sight to behold. I was watching that game, by the way. It was I, an incredible game to watch. I remember that game vividly. And I was just, I was just thinking, are the Seahawks gonna do anything? And I believe Washington won that game, right? Mm-hmm. Because of like those four missed field goals. Yeah. So they went with Blair Walsh. Uh, after they proceeded to cut Blair Walsh, they moved on to Sebastian Janikowski, um, who, you know, all-time one of the greatest kickers in in the modern game. And mm-hmm. he basically played until he pulled his leg against the Cowboys. And right. after that leg injury. No luck against with kickers against the NFC East teams, man. Yeah, man. And and after after he hurt his leg, Against the Cowboys, he was never the same, and that was his last year. And then, yeah. who's the who's their kicker now? Have they I had can't him? remember who their kicker is. I can know I know their punter, but that's Michael Dixon. Uh, let's see, Seahawks the, kicker the Aussie, is the Aussie born Michael Jason Dixon. Myers. Jason, Jason Myers. Myers. They've had him for like a year or two, right? Yeah, he actually went twenty four for twenty four in twenty twenty, but he struggled a little bit this year. Then again, I mean, the entire team has struggled this year. But anyway. The po- putting that aside, the Seahawks are clinging to a six-point lead, which is one of those interesting leads in NFL football because it's right up there with a two-point lead in that it's both 
good to have it, but also it almost makes you more stressed than a tie game. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the lead is just so fragile. And sure enough, the Niners actually do drive down, led by Colin Kaepernick. And, I mean, it looks like they might have a genuine chance to punch it in and punch their ticket to a second consecutive Super Bowl. And then Colin Kaepernick tries to hit a, a fading Michael Crabtree. And he, it's, it's off target. It's definitely off target. But Richard Sherman, the Seahawks superstar corner and one of the cornerstones of the Legion of Boom, tips the pass. It actually lands in the arms of Malcolm Smith. But that ends the game because, of course, Malcolm Smith goes down in the end zone. And then it's a touchback kneel out the game, Seahawks go to the Super Bowl, proceed to humiliate the most statistically dominant offense in NFL history. And the 2013 Seahawks solidify themselves as one of the greatest teams in recent NFL history. I would say the best of the 2010s. I mean, they're up there. They're definitely up there. Um, and I genuinely of, cannot think of a, of a better team I mean, in the 2010s. In the 2010s? I mean... Oh no, because the Bucks won it in nine in twenty. You might yeah. you, you can make a case for the nineteen Chiefs. That's true. Even then, I don't know. That defense came together towards the end, but it was no Legion of Boom. I would have taken. I mean, I ask you this: Was there take the Super Bowl winners of every year in the twenty tens? Is there any team of those that you're taking over the Legion of Boom? Actually, let me uh, let me look them up. Uh, Super who won in twenty ten? Because in 11, it was the Giants. Yeah, Super Bowl winners. In 12, it was the Ravens. Yeah, here. I'm just looking it up real quick. Sure. We have New Orleans, the 2010 New Orleans Saints. Green 2010 New Orleans Saints. The 2011 Green Bay Packers. Ah, true. You got 11 Packers. Um, You could make a case for the 13 Ravens. Um, Oh, yeah, you're you're going by a different year, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would definitely take them over the Drew Brees Saints. The MVP Aaron Rodgers is hard to ignore, but I still think that team was better, frankly, that defense. I mean, the Ravens, clearly, they were a better team than the Ravens, Asher, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Ravens, Giants, any of the New England teams that won it, the later Manning Super Bowl in 16 with the Broncos, they were better than, uh, they were better than the Eagles team that won in 17. And then I mean I think I think if you're gonna make the case on who was the best team to win the Super Bowl of the past ten years, it's it's basically take your pick of one of the New England wins plus, I don't think plus, so. plus the Packers in twenty eleven mm-hmm. and the Legion of Boom Seahawks. I I'm I, I'm sorry, I don't see any of the New England teams on par with that with that Legion of Boom team. Of course, they lost in 2014, but I would say they kind of won that Super Bowl if it they wasn't sh- for the fact that they didn't run the ball. <laughs> so I would say, I would say that is genuinely the best team uh, of the 2010s, and I would say that I wouldn't take any other Super Bowl winning team. But I also want to talk for a moment about the iconic moment that happened after the game, because uh, Richard yes. Sherman, he was always an outspoken guy, right? Mm-hmm. And well, he was understandably pumped up about securing a, a bid to, for his dream trip to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So, sideline reporter, I believe it was Aaron Andrews, right? She's like, been. And she was like, hey, you know, you want to talk about it? And she's expecting the classic answer, you know, uh, I'm thankful for teammates 
family, God, my dog, you know, <laughs> for all making this possible for us to go to the Super Bowl. And Richard Sherman just starts going, going off, really. You know, and he, his voice is hoarse. He's screaming. What is it he says? If you test me with a sorry retrie- receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Stuff Some, like that. Yeah, something like that. And then Aaron that. Andrews is just standing there holding <laughs> the microphone like, oh, no, this is not the way this interview was supposed to go. <laughs> and it solidifies Richard Sherman's reputation as a loudmouth. But in fairness, I mean, he more than backed it up with some just elite play year after year. So kind of funny. But it's also interesting to see how neither Richard Sherman nor Crabtree have really been able to carve out a consistent niche of being really good uh for extended period since then you know I, no i would disagree sherman's injuries i'm sorry he has no. not been on the field consistently enough what are you talking about sherman from 2012 to 2016 was yeah. some of the best cornerback play yes mm-hmm. absolutely of the 20 and then what and then what happened after 2016 2016 he went what, what was the year that he ended up going to the niners he played a good solid two years with the niners Oh, is that true? He I did. That's when he got injured. No, he got he got injured his final year with the Niners. No, he was injured more before. It then, was wasn't the final it? year of a three year deal. The last year he got yeah, he got injured. Uh, he he just got injured horribly. And yeah, uh, no, no, I know his his well, he had a terrible year. No, no. So first of all, he yeah, you're right. From 2012 to 2016, he played all 16. Super consistent. Super great. Right. He plays only nine. He basically plays half with his last year in Seattle, which is 2017, right? Mm-hmm. And then he plays eh, around a full season in both of his first two uh, San Francisco years. Where and he then, was yeah, still said, very good. Yeah, I mean, again, he's good. I'm just saying he has not been that superstar corner. I guess, but you got to remember, he's old now. That's true. He is old. Uh, but and then he has his injury with San Francisco and then he played one game with Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was not good in that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Michael Crabtree, of course, has gone out far quieter than Richard Sherman. He went to the Raiders and then he went to who did he go to after the Raiders? That was it. That was it. No. Yeah. Af- after after he was with the 49ers, he went with the Raiders, carved out a good, a really solid three years. Yeah. With Derek Carr. And then once Amari Cooper started No, no, he integrated. was on the Ravens. He was definitely on the Ravens at one point. Was he? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm certain of this. Let me see here. Yeah, yeah. He had one. So in 2018, he played with Baltimore. He played all 16 games, actually. But he just wasn't uh, good. With 607 yards. I don't know. And then he, oh, yeah. And he tried. Remember, he tried one last year in 2019 with Arizona. That Would that have been the Josh Rosen Cardinals? I think so. Yeah, well, predictably, that didn't go well. So he, he was out of the league yeah. pretty quickly. Actually, pretty close time-wise to Richard Sherman, which is a little interesting. Oh, well, you know. They're like Batman and the Joker. They need each other. You know what I'm saying, Andrew? <laughs> no, that would that would be Aqib Tlaib in Michael Crabtree. But Aqib Tlaib had been around way before Michael Crabtree. And he's been around longer longer after him, too. Is that true? When did he keep the league retire? He's still in the league. No. I, he's on the Rams now, I'm pretty sure. No way. No, he retired. He's either he's on the an Rams. announcer. He's on the Rams he's an announcer, or, or with the Chargers. He? No, he retired in 2019. 
Oh, oh, that's right. That's when the Dolphins traded for him, and he and he never played for him because they traded for him while he was injured, and he yeah. never played a game. And they cut him, and they, uh, <sighs> dude, thinking about the Dolphins front office just sets me off on a completely different level. I yeah. hate the Dolphins front office so much. You know, they they really did trade back. They 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 traded back in this year's draft, right? From the third mm-hmm. pick to what, like around twelve or eleven with Philadelphia, mm-hmm. or, or no, it was it was with the Niners. They traded back with the Niners so they could draft Trey Lance, and then they instead of sticking at eleven, they traded up with the Eagles, traded their first round pick this year to go get Jalen Waddle, who how much is he doing with Tua right now? Not much. Actually, had a pretty good game uh, this past week. Like, yeah, okay, he's a good receiver, but Tua isn't good. So I mean, Tua has been destroying bad competition. Oh, oh, he destroyed the Jets and the Jags and the Giants or something. Oh, no, I, I'm so impressed with Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, not unfair, but I will say that yeah, you play who's in front of you, in fairness to Tua, right? He's played well recently. Yeah. I'd like to see him against the Patriots one more time. Well, I don't think Tua wants to see himself against the Patriots <laughs> one more time. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But oh, man. there is another game I wanted to talk about, and that was the Niners and the Seahawks 1991 December 8th game. Uh, so this happened in the kingdom. Ah, okay. Back back in the good old days. This would so, have been Kingdom, uh, Steve Young coming into town. Or was it still Montana? Was it still Montana '91? Yeah. Uh no, no. This was this was young. Steve right. Bono. Wait, it's a Steve Bono <laughs> game. You know it. Why do you think I chose it? Oh, I love Steve Bono. Yeah. So, first of all, and I cannot find for the life of me what this is referring to. But in the box score, Seattle scores a touchdown at nine minutes and sixteen seconds into the game, into the first quarter. Right. Yeah. It says so it sort of says on the box score it says James Jones one yard run. Okay. Then it says parentheses kick aborted. Not blocked. Not failed two point conversion. Kick aborted. <laughs> what? I think happened? I think that's just I think it's a botched kick that was thrown away. Really? Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you just call it a miss? No, because like what it would be is like oh, it's like the the holder fumbles the fumbles the snap. To- T Tony Romo's it. Tony Tony Romo's <laughs> the snap. But wouldn't you, know, you just say like rolls out and either throws right. it away or or gets sacked or something? But of wouldn't that, that nature? count as still a, a failed two point conversion because someone has possessed the ball? Well, maybe they counted it differently because it was on a botched field goal. Maybe. I'm sorry, but kick aborted. It's just nothing you see every day. It's so that's, a, what, it, it, that, that's a phrase that just carries so much weight in that box score. <laughs> to just imagine being, and it would be kind of a problem for the Seahawks because this was a close game. So missing that field goal or aborting that kick did not, it did not actually turn out to be a great idea. So then San Francisco hits uh, Steve Bono, the goat, the goto, if you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hits Harry Sidney for a three-yard touchdown. And then Seattle and uh, San Francisco trade field goals to enter the half. So 
San Francisco's up 10 to 9 because remember that aborted kick leaves Seattle one point behind. And so then who immediately breaks through early in the third quarter? Jerry Rice. I mean, of course, you know, who, Jerry else, Rice, who else would it be? Jerry Rice is so much better than any other receiver who ever played. It's not even funny. Dude, all of his all-time uh, reception stats, whether it's catches, yards, uh, yards after catch, all that stuff, he mm-hmm. is leaps and bounds ahead of the second-place guy. It is mm-hmm. ridiculous. I think in catches, he's at least one or 200 ahead of the second-place person. You're, uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, hold on. All-time... Time receptions, receptions. I mean, leaders. Also, didn't he have like a catch percentage of sixty-two point four? And the second closest is Randy Moss at fifty-six point four. Oh my gosh, that's so, catch percentage. So okay, so the receptions leader is still Jerry Rice. The only one who could ever catch him is gonna be Larry Fitz, who is, is Larry Fitz it, even playing? He's a free agent right now. Yeah, I don't um, think he's going to get any more. And so in 16 years, Larry Fitz, Larry Legend, racked up 1,432 receptions. All right? Jerry Rice played 20 years and logged 1,550 receptions. And you want to go Good by Lord. yards, Harry. You want to go by yards, Harry. Sure. Larry Fitz seems to be in... um. Seems to be in second place as well for yards at seventeen at seventeen thousand five hundred. You want to know what Jerry Rice is at? Twenty two thousand nine hundred. Good lord. He this dude was a manimal. All right, he could not be stopped. Yes. Anyways, that's our that's our little diatribe on Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like the Mark Mosley of wide receivers, if you will. <laughs> the Bubby Brister of wide receivers. Clearly. But, yeah. So, anyway, then, so that Jerry Rice touchdown puts up San Francisco 17-9. to And, again, this is early 90s football. So, what happens when the Seahawks score a touchdown? Do they go for the two-point conversion to tie the game? No, they just <laughs> kick the extra point. They're down 17-16. to Sometimes I genuinely wonder if old school NFL coaches could do basic arithmetic. You know what I mean? I just think it was just this primordial fear. This like religious, like it was a (laughs) sin to go for two. It was just, they avoided going for two point conversions like the plague. And it was, it was, it's just like this toothless, as we look back on it now, right? Right. Uh, with with modern football in our minds, going back to old school football, it's a completely different world. Fullbacks were still used. They had this. Right. They, a lot of the a lot of the backs and defensive ends would used to have this massive horse collar. That, oh, uh, back on the, the good backs, old days. Like Mike Allstott, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It, and shoulder pads were massive and bulky, and it just it looks like a completely different game. Fullbacks are still being used. I formation, T formation, tight ends everywhere. Ah oh, man, it yeah. was um, 
It was a different time, Harry. It was a very different time with very different personalities and players, certainly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so, but I'm sorry, but just from a basic arithmetic perspective, right? If they don't make it, if they're down 17 to 15. They still take the lead with a field goal. They kick the field goal. They gain nothing. They're protecting themselves from a safety, I guess. Like, it's ridiculous. Which even back then didn't happen that much. No. So this is ridiculous. Anyway, Seattle kicks two field goals to go up 22-17 pretty late in the fourth quarter. But Steve Clutch Bono drives down and with just over uh, a minute remaining, hits John Taylor from 15 yards out to give San Francisco a 24-22 lead it would hold on to for the rest of regulation. Uh, Typical Seahawks. Yep. But I want to talk for a minute about the the Seahawks quarterback in this game, Dave Krieg, right? Oh, yeah, Dave Krieg. He's the guy who replaced Jim Zorn, right? Yep. So, Andrew, Dave Krieg, he went to – he he obviously had to have a pretty good college career, right? I just want to talk about his college career because it's insane, Mm -hmm. right? I think we've I think we've talked about it once before. Maybe we have, but listen to this, Andrew. Uh-huh. Certainly, this sounded new to me. What do you think Dave Krieg was on the on the depth chart of quarterbacks at his college? We're talking about a future NFL quarterback. If you're talking about him in this way, he was probably like second or third, and and they well, probably brought him in off the bench. The, he was seventh. He was seventh. <laughs> he had seven quarterbacks, and he was the last quarterback. Wait, 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 wait. So was he seventh in his freshman year? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. All right. And then in at the very end of his, seventh, uh, his freshman year, he comes in for four passes and throws three touchdowns on those four passes. What? Yep. Like absolute legend, am I right? And you know what the best part is? All his school records are untouchable. Why? Because he went to Milton College. Now, Andrew, have you heard of Milton College? Uh, no. But that's exactly the point. It doesn't run anymore. There's no Milton College anymore. There's no Milton in fact, College? He, what? The, there were only two guys to ever play in the NFL from Milton College. Those being Creek and a Seahawks teammate he had. I can't remember whose name escapes me. But just think about that. Dave Creek started on seventh on the depth chart, came in for four passes in his freshman year, threw three touchdowns for a school that no longer exists. That's wild, man. And and by his senior year, I'm sure he broke all types of records for that little little school. I would look at Milton College uh, football records. I wonder if anyone's keeping them. You know what I mean? Like, wait, wait. So when did the school shut down? I have uh, so many questions now. Not like uh, 1981. 19. Wait, what? No, that's not right. No, that can't be right. No, no, this must be the wrong Milton then. Yeah, which Wait. Milton is he from? No, no, clearly he was. No, it says that they were represented by Dave Krieg. Or is it Craig? Whatever. Mil- yeah. No, no, he. No, 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 no. No, that actually lines up. No, no. Oh, he was so- with the Seahawks for 11 years. He was drafted in 80. So oh, no. my gosh. He genuinely sat for like a decade. Oh, th- yeah, because he was behind Jim Zorn for forever. That's right. So there you go. That, that's what rookies in the NFL should be. More or less, shown some respect. <laughs> Sit behind Jim Zorn for seven years. Yeah, and he was 
Jim Zorn was Steve Largent's preferred quarterback, too. I mean, yeah. Anyway, anyway, just a little interesting tidbit of history. So, Andrew, this is actually a game on Sunday. Oh, is this actually a game? Probably not. Um, no. I'll, I'll, what are I'll your get, thoughts? I'll, I'll go over this quick. Um, so, San Francisco is quickly rising. Uh, they kind of got their confidence back up against the Jags, and they proved their mettle against a very um, even matchup last week against the Vikings. It was super mm-hmm. close. It was competitive. Jimmy Garoppolo is playing solid football right now. He's never going to be a superstar, uh, and I will no- I will not. I will never pretend he is. But he uh-huh. he is driving this car right now. He's got the keys, and he's just not crashing the car. And he's even making you know passing some dudes up some you know on the highway a little bit he's not doing he's bad. no trevor he's no trevor Semyon or taylor heineke but you know he's what he is yeah he's, he's a solid <laughs> mid-tier quarterback which is and he's smart and he's familiar with the system which is what san francisco really needs right now you got george yep. kittle cooking ever since he got back from injury he's one of the major reasons why this team is on the rise debo samuel and, and brandon Ayuk are finally showing their talent and especially, uh, especially Debo with, with lining up at running back a whole lot right now, just really being an offensive weapon okay, here. Real quick question here, Andrew. I want to yeah. hear this from you because I agree with you about sort of the very excellent 49ers offensive system and how Jimmy G's system quarterback talents are maximized in that system. Yeah. So I would ask you a question, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Why would you get Trey Lance if you were the 49ers? If you were already a Super Bowl caliber team with Jimmy Garoppolo, whose upside is system quarterback. Do you really need that? Wouldn't you go for the, the higher floor? It's the upside. It's the upside. You don't have the physical. Tra- Jimmy Garoppolo will never have the physical traits that Trey Lance has. That's number one. Uh, Trey Lance has a crazy arm and and next level mobility. He's he's not Lamar Jackson, but he's more akin to like Kyler Murray and Josh Allen levels of of athlete. Here is what you're talking about. Um, he's got he's got the size. He's got the arm. He's got he's got the legs. He's got he's got he's a lot got of it. one year of tape. <laughs> got, I'm sorry. I mean that Am I but, crazy? No, but here's the thing. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo was going to stick around this year anyway. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. why not sit sit Trey Lance behind Jimmy for a year? Let Trey Lance learn the offense. And also yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo has been injury prone his dur- during yes, his career. This is true. Like if, if I'm Remember shit, when he if, came in one set, uh, one five games in a row and then tore his ACL after the big contract extension? Yep. 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 So if Trey Lance has way more physical upside than Jimmy Garoppolo, has not been shown to be injury prone, seems to be very young and coachable, why would you not go for the upside? Because the Niners are in a position where they have a good enough roster that they can sustain mm-hmm. Jimmy for a year or two. But when they need to start paying Joey Bosa... Or not Joey Bosa, um, you know, the the younger Bosa brother. Um, oh my God, his name is escaping me right now. Nick Bosa. Yeah, Nick Bosa. Thank you. The uh, one with the tweets. <laughs> I was about to say Jimmy. I was about to say Jimmy Bosa. <laughs> Everybody on the 49ers is named Jimmy. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Samuel, uh, Jimmy Bosa. Yep. But but yeah, like. The Niners have a really good, really good core right now, but when they need to start paying a lot of the star players, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to look more and more like an albatross on this team. Mm. But 
if you have a young quarterback who is extremely cheap and with tons of physical upside that you can bench for a year and Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough to get you to the Super Bowl anyway, it's a win-win scenario if you're Mike Shan if you're Kyle Shanahan. It 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 was generally one of the best moves of the offseason was getting Trey Lance for the Niners. But I guess I I don't know, maybe this is where I'm more of an old school football kind of guy, Andrew. But like, why not get Mac Jones then? Why not get Mac Jones? Because he doesn't have the physical upside. He doesn't have the upside. That's why. But you don't need the upside. If why you're would, just looking for but, a young quarterback to cut costs, Mac Jones has the physical tools to be a very good quarterback. But why would and but why would you can, want to cut can win costs? Now. But but why but he can cut costs with Trey Lance and get future upside with Trey Lance. That's not going to be there with Mac. Trey Jones. Lance pans out. But if Trey Lance pans out, right? There's a reason that people did not expect the 49ers. Why why there was so much buzz for Justin Fields or Mac Jones, more experienced quarterbacks who who had played higher levels of football. I'm not saying it's a bad move, but I'm just saying that it confused me because I understand I understand the logic, but it just feels unnecessary for a 49ers team that has proven it can compete for Super Bowls with Jimmy G under center. If you're just looking for another quarterback to keep that window open by cutting costs, I don't understand why you take that risk. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I mean, I would argue that it's not that much of a risk at all when Kyle Shanahan is your coach. That that I would mean, be my argument. I mean, that Kyle would be your argument. Kyle Shanahan Andrew. is the coach and John Lynch is the GM. It's yeah. it's such an inc- it's an incredible system that is yeah. built to make things easier on quarterbacks by by you know getting moving pockets through play action and having having a lot of over routes and uh you know receivers coming across the field not as not as rigid of a pro set as you would get for example with a Bruce Arians. Um, it's designed to make things easier on, on a quarterback. It's designed to be um, less rigorous to learn and that's perfect for someone who has played very little football in the past two years but has all the talent in the world that I is the, that is the, that. that is the perfect system to drop him in and yeah, but... and you're you're basically getting josh Allen. you could be potentially be getting the, the next josh allen and one good year and then and then losing the division again okay okay let me let me, <laughs> let me, let me <laughs> Let me come up with a bit of a different example. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that Kyler Murray really exploded in his second year, uh, and his yeah. second and third year, which mm-hmm. would be this year, and in the same way that um, we saw meteoric growth from Lamar Jackson in his second right. year, don't be surprised when you see Trey Lance starting next year for the Niners mm-hmm. and him setting the world on fire. And he, I'm sorry, he's just he just has so much more talent than Jimmy Garoppolo will have, and that's a lot of it. That's true. Phys- physical traits. So why would you not want to upgrade at quarterback? But here's the thing, right? I don't disagree with you there, but I would say, like, look at Kyler Murray. He's a great example. They the Cardinals need Kyler Murray. They lost badly to the Panthers without Kyler Murray, right? Sure, so- but they won two of three with with Colt McCoy, so. I'm saying that roster is a lot further from being competitive without a genuinely fantastic quarterback like Kyler Murray than the Niners are, right? But they just won two or three games with Colt McCoy, and they're at the top of the NFC right now. Yeah, that's true. 
But I'm just saying that the Cardinals are a roster who rely more heavily on their quarterback than the Niners do, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, it's, that, so that, you, that's a very cautious agree. But So what I'm saying is that the the you need more upside from your quarterback when you're a team like the Cardinals. But when you're the Niners and you've gotten and you have a system that can maximize offensive talent so well, the argument is from my perspective, why not invest that money in the defense? Why not take safer bets on offense and let Kyle Shanahan figure out how to make that offense hum like he has for years, like he was able to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. That team was a historic choke job in the Super Bowl away from a title, right? I don't think the formula needs to be changed that much. That's what I'm saying. Exactly, but the formula could be made exponentially better with a quarterback who has the potential to open up the playbook. And what if he's not good, though? What if he's not good? I'm just saying, what if he's not good? What if he's not good? You trade for Gardner Minshew. Yeah. You trade you trade for Gardner Minshew if Trey Lance doesn't work out. There, there, I don't know. there are say think about it. When they trade Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason, which is there have already been rumors that 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 will be what's happening this offseason. Okay, I'm gonna laugh really hard when they don't trade Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> but under the assumption that they trade Jimmy Garoppolo, you think they aren't getting at least a second round pick for him? And it'll be a decent second round pick for a team that's desperate for a quarterback, like let's say Pittsburgh or Washington. Um, well, although Washington looking a little less likely now because of how Taylor yeah. Heineke's playing, but you know, just think, just put yourself in that mindset, right? Of a team that needs a, a good floor for a quarterback in order to, you know, make their teams better. The difference with the Niners is that they now have that golden blue chip prospect that could pan out Maybe. to be one of the best one of the best players of the decade. That's the that's the kind of talent that Trey Lance has. Now I'm not saying he, he will for sure get there, but I'm saying I have a lot of faith in Kyle Shanahan to get Trey Lance to that level. And that's mm. why that move is so good for the Niners. Now if the if they I think the middle ground here, Harry, between your position and mine is if they would have drafted Justin Fields instead. Yes, who I would... thought that. That's who, that's who we thought they were going to take in our mock draft. Yeah, um, and the difference was is that Fields had a couple a couple of bad tendencies he showed in college because he simply had more tape and he he had more opportunities to make mistakes. The difference with, with, with Trey Lance is that he was, a, he was basically a blank slate. He was yeah, it's totally true. raw. I mean, they're going all in on that system working to perfection, right? And I, I guess that's not a bad bet. I would just say that that's not that's not the bet I would have made personally. But I can understand your perspective. You know, yeah. so anyways, I can see the blank slate argument. Anyway, got way off track. Let's talk about the actual game. Um... Uh, is there that much to say? The Okay, I'm a Washington football team fan. I watched that Monday night game. Russell Wilson... Well, there were moments when he did not look like an NFL caliber quarterback. It was he bad. just say he sailed routine third down checkdowns. He missed wide open crossers down the field. He had DK Metcalf chilling open and didn't throw to him. And even when he threw contested jump balls, a guy with one of the best deep balls in NFL history threw maybe he didn't even throw a single good deep ball all game. Every single big drive that the Seahawks had came off fluky blown coverages. That's terrible, isn't it? It's it's I think a combination of a couple of things. 
Um, first of all, the offensive line for the for the Seahawks has been terrible this year. Um, That's have, true. They have just not been up to par. And really, the Seahawks haven't had a good offensive line since 2013-14, really. It, it, again, mm-hmm. as every single time we bring up the Seahawks on this radio station, Harry, mm-hmm. it, I always say it is this front office's inability to team build that is now biting them and their inability to draft specifically has been abhorrent they have not drafted they've drafted very little impact players over the past five years they've got they've gotten like one or two superstars out of it and one or two pro bowlers but that's it they have no depth this is a team with no depth Mm -hmm. no defensive line your only your only real linebackers is 32-year-old Bobby Wagner or whatever, however old he is. He's he's north of 30. Uh, Jamal Adams, who's a solid player, but hasn't been what he was supposed to be. And what else? You got whiny DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett. <laughs> Tyler Lockett's still good. And you have Russ. Yeah, you, have, you, you have Russ with a busted finger. It's awful. It's it's an incredibly top-heavy team with a top-heavy talent not even being that good right now. And that results in a 3-8 and record. Yeah, but I guess what's so concerning for Seahawks fans is that <laughs> drafting poorly and having no O-line was a winning formula until very recently in Seattle. Uh, so... Clearly, something's very wrong with Russell Wilson. But as you said, I mean, there's no mar- he has no margin for error because that roster is terrible. Meanwhile, the 49ers are hitting their stride. So, Andrew, is there any way the Seahawks can really win this game? I mean, it takes Russ getting back into form, really. Uh, and if Russ is back into form, this is a ball game because that's just how good Russell Wilson can be. But I don't know, man just saying oh just look at the legacy between these two teams seahawks have dominated looking at games that way Mm -hmm. and predicting games that way is such a narrow-minded lazy way to analyze games and i'm sorry but i think as we have exhausted have exhaustingly covered over the past 20 minutes or so uh the seahawks just ain't it this year and the niners hitting their stride are poised to, you know, as long as they don't screw the game up, they'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's a pretty bad situation to be in if you're a Hawks fan. But hey, that's, uh, they're used to that this season. So that brings me to some of my favorite things. So I don't consider this to be a, a news show, Andrew, but yeah, I do like to bring up things in the news that I enjoy that make me happy, if you would. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, do you know... Kenny Vaccaro. Oh, yeah, you're talking about this story. Yeah, I like Kenny Vaccaro. <laughs> so he's a former Satan Titan who was a solid yep. box safety for a good for a good eight years or so. He's retiring from the NFL to become a gamer to start yes. his own esports team. That's amazing. What's it what's it That's... called again? What's it called again? We need to advertise oh, I... this to the to the people. Okay, wait. Kenny, when I have a link to I have a link to an article about it. Here we go. ESPN reinvents himself. Do uh, you call it transcend? No, no, wait, no. I think that no, I think that's just what he tagged it with. 
Oh, he, he called it G1. Gamers first? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The inspiration for the G1 name comes from the fact that while Volcaro was known as a standout football player all his life, he said he, quote, identifies as a gamer first. No way. That's amazing. I bet you this, I, I bet you this dude spent all of his off time locked up in his room playing 2K. That's probably I've been a doing. gamer for even longer than I played football. And I've always thought of myself as a gamer first, Vicara said. Well, and while football has been how many have defined me, G1 is evidence for other athletes as well that life doesn't end when you put down the helmet. You can reinvent yourself as a gamer. gamer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny little that. note on that, by the way. Did you know mm-hmm. that Le'Veon Bell was a huge Smash Bros. fan and he actually went to a big tournament once? Oh, did he? Yeah. This was back when he on was a on a jet the... ski? I wish. If only. <laughs> he played Mega Man. He played Mega Man in uh in, in Smash Bros. Oh, Brothers. nice. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh my god, it's Le'Veon Bell. Holy crap. But yeah. That was um that was an interesting little anecdote. Anyways, uh I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome that, that Kenny Vicaro is doing that. And immensely funny with the name. So that brings me to, so that's funny, right? I'm absolutely ecstatic. Kenny Vaccaro is a gamer, improving gamer visibility. <laughs> Amazing. But I'm actually about to tell you something really interesting, which is that, so the next story I want to bring up was a little, a little more serious. RG3 is going to publish a tell-all book in, tw- in the summer of 2022. Uh-oh. Here's what he said on social media. I'm excited to announce that I wrote a book and it's coming out in August 2022 titled Surviving Washington. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, no. And then he says, I want you to take the journey with me as I walk you through one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all sports. I'm going to tell you the truth about what happened in that playoff game in 2012 against Seattle. I'm going to detail the medical mismanagement that I received during my time in Washington. I'm going to open your eyes to the sexual harassment that permeated the walls of that building and give you a deep dive into a power struggle between one of the most powerful coaches in all sports and an owner that many of you want gone. Oh, no. RG3, no. RG3 is here to save the franchise from Dan Snyder one last time. Come on, RG3. Oh, my God. Big Robert Griffin III is about to make the clock for the Washington football team strike midnight. I hope so. In 2022. I mean, they 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 blew off the cheerleaders thing. I hope RG3 brings more visibility to it oh, because please, yeah. I disgusting. just anything anything helps. Please, jeez. Uh I don't know. Anything it takes to get Dan Snyder out of that building, you know. But I I was like, "Oh, RG3's publishing a book." And I'm like, "Oh, surviving Washington." whoa that's a little spicy and then i saw i read the text of the announcement i'm like oh geez dan snyder better get the bribes ready (laughs) i mean he's done it before he's done it well don't forget when he sent people to allegedly sent people to intimidate minority owners into selling their shares so he could consolidate power allegedly but also really but also really exactly just like um ben roethlisberger historically we don't we don't we don't we don't need to talk about Ben Rob yeah 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 anyway anyway not that funny but I think an important piece of news especially relevant to me and I really do hope that I feel like this is one of the 
if there will be a, a straw that breaks the camel's back, it would it would be something like this because the NFL is it would take his complaints more seriously than those of cheerleaders. The NFL respects former players more than cheerleaders. Unfortunately, you know, they've just kind of dismissed yeah. those complaints. All right. So then I also wanted to note something that you brought up to me before we started recording, Andrew, which was that Adrian Peterson is somehow still clinging to an NFL career because after getting let go by the Titans, he's on the Seahawks practice squad. Yeah. And I saw a little note um, from Pete Carroll. Um, from the article uh, from the article I skimmed before doing the episode. Uh, apparently, this guy has been trying to get Adrian Peterson on his team since recruiting him while he was trying to get him in while he was recruiting for USC. He's been trying, desperately, to get Adrian Peterson in the building. And he has finally done it, Harry. I congratulate mm-hmm. him. I congratulate him. Yeah. Good on him. Good on him. Good on him. I mean, Adrian Peterson's washed, but hey. I mean. He's not not even that washed, though. That's the scary thing. Is he? Really? Come on. No, he didn't look awful again when when he was, you know, those three games with the Titans. And then they Mm. cut him immediately because they just started cleaning house. Probably a good idea. I don't know. I don't know. But but it's good to see. It's good to see AP. It's good to Mm -hmm. see. uh, you know, senior citizen recognizing senior citizen and, you know, helping a guy out. Helping yeah, I mean, he's got out. that. He's got a chokehold on NFL teams when they need a veteran uh, running back. You know, there's only one option. He's kept an iron grip on that on that market since Frank Gore retired. You know, oh, he my. really beat he really what? beat Frank Gore for that for that job. <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> okay. Wait, now, is uh, Frank Gore retired? Or... Yeah, no one. Or I don't know if he's officially retired, but no one's bringing him back now. Not with one yard those... runs up the gut to Frank oh. Gore no longer. <laughs> oh man, I do love Frank Gore though. Gotta yeah. Love so finally, I wanted to close off the show with a little bit of discussion about the NFC playoff picture. Cause that's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's a little weird. It's crazy, man. So I the think... mainstream media would have you believe that the Eagles were going to be the team that was going to break out of the NFC East to challenge the Cowboys and make a run at the wild card. But they were wrong. It was the Washington football team. <laughs> like a phoenix rising from a from the ashes. It is I don't know. From we were don't forget, we were starting Sanchez uh in twenty uh, a couple of years ago. So, you know I think to feel good. I, I think as of Wednesday night, December first, mm-hmm. twenty twenty one, the mm-hmm. Washington football team holds the seventh best seed. team in the NFC East. Oh, but that too, that too. Yeah, they hold the seventh seed in uh, the NFC as of right now. I think that I think I do believe they have it over the Vikes right now. So, I'm I, you cannot understand. I can't understand how weird this season has been. But in the end, Andrew, we both agree that the two best teams in the NFC East were generally Washington and Dallas, right? Obviously, we thought it was going to be for different reasons. Um, yeah than what has played out so far. And the ascension of Taylor Heineke. <laughs> I do love Taylor Heineke so much. I love I really guy. want him to be good. Like, I cannot understate this. He's the kind of guy who I like so much that I'm at a point where I don't even care if it's the right thing to do for winning football games. But, you know, I just want to see him play football. He's so fun to watch. He's going to be another Gardner Minshew where 
everybody loves him. Everybody wants to see him play. We all know he can start, but Washington's going to be looking for an upgrade. And they're not going to be emotional about it, Harry. So enjoy the ride while it lasts, man. Maybe, maybe. But I honestly feel like, I don't know, unless they can... I don't know where they'll end up. I think it's a little bit more of a nuanced conversation because Heineke is so cheap, you know? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where they end up. But I wanted to ask you something, Andrew, which is the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. What are they? Because they're not as good as they once appeared. But they're not bad or anything. I mean, they're still a good team. I mean, what are your what is your take? So I would I would honestly throw I wouldn't throw last week on Thanksgiving against the Raiders out the trash, but it's heavily discounted because even though that game was heavily destroyed by the refs, I think it was twenty eight total mm-hmm. pen- penalties between both teams, over <laughs> over five hundred yards. No, not five hundred yards. Like two hundred some yards penalized total. It was classic. It was a terrible night, but by the refs, with you know the likes of which we haven't seen since earlier this year against the Bears and the Steelers. But you got to remember, even though Dak wasn't coming out hot that game, he played immaculate football in the second half to get his team back into the game. And I don't, I don't know what this team is right now. Because they have the capacity to be excellent, they just haven't gotten that consistency yet. And clearly, they they really even though we all thought CeeDee Lamb was going to make Amari Cooper an afterthought, Amari Cooper being gone, two two very sketchy games these past two weeks, um, and CeeDee Lamb out last week, it was just a, uh, it was quite the week. It was quite the week that Thanksgiving game, and uh, I think as. I think as Dallas gets to be a little more healthy, we'll see that consistency from earlier in the year start to creep back up. Um, okay. But I still think the Cowboys are set to take this division, Harry. And Oh, I think they're going to take the division. And I mean, uh, who knows? They they're might, not the best. <laughs> dude, they might actually make some noise. They might no, actually no, no, make no. some noise this year in the playoffs. But maybe, Against who, though? Maybe that's Who are the serious teams are they going to beat? I'm going to ask you. They better than the Packers? No. Packers are the best team in football right now. Okay. Are they better than the Rams? I think they could take the Rams right now. Really? Yeah. Okay. Think they could beat the 49ers too? Yeah. They they could beat the Niners. You think they're the second best team in the NFC right now? No, the Bucks are still in the NFC. Oh, that's true. The Bucks are there. I mentally crossed them off my list. I mean, Tom Brady's washed. Uh, n- nothing will. I've just convinced myself that the Bucks will lose. It's why it's it's a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a gag uh, reflex, Harry. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you have a traumatic memory that your brain blocks out so you can function. That's just me every year when I think about good teams. I just don't think of Tom Brady's team, you know, just so I can pretend like there's actual (laughs) parody in the NFL and I don't know who's going to win at the end. But I don't know. Are the Cowboys the third best team? Oh, well, also the Cardinals. Are they better than the Cardinals? Oh, well, I need to see Kyler Kyler Murray healthy. That's true. But from what you've seen. Assuming Kyler Murray comes back normal, I think from, it would, and plays I think what he was. Be, I think it'd be close. Uh, it'd be close, a good but game. narrow edge to. Just curious. Narrow, narrow edge to the Cardinals, but okay. So you think they're like a top five team? That definitely. Oh, for East. sure, for sure. Borderline top three team, depending on Kyler Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I guess I don't disagree with that assessment so much, though. I think the Rams could beat them definitely. 
And I think it's very notable this year, and we, we are kind of a little low on time, so this will kind of Fair be my sure. final point. Um, but the the NFC this year owns probably owns the top five to six teams. Remember, the mm-hmm. top seed in the, in the AFC right now, folks, the Ravens. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot. So that's oof. the AFC is a much deeper, much more competitive conference. But let's not forget who the big dogs are this year. They're almost all mm-hmm. in the NFC. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Andrew, what you're telling me is that when the Washington football team go on a historic run, once they get out of the NFC East, they're home free, basically. Is that what you're telling me? Essentially. Okay. Got it. You heard it here for, first, folks. Taylor Heineke, Super Bowl MVP. All righty. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bubby's Brunch Buddies. Hope you've enjoyed and gained a new perspective on the upcoming NFL week, or at least gained some Bubby Brister trivia. Thanks again for listening. Have a great evening, and we hope to catch you next time.